Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. It's the art of understanding what the other person cares about and uncovering as much information as you can. And I'm naturally a curious person. I love to ask questions. Think of it as it's not negotiating, it's not trying to get the most out of the other person, but can I just understand as much as I can and ask good questions? Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. My guest today is Ching Veldezko. She's a global learning consultant who helps leaders and teams communicate, present, influence, and negotiate effectively. March is International Women's Month, and all month long, I'm bringing you conversations from women who are fixing the world of work. I met Ching several years ago at a conference in San Jose, and she wowed the audience with tips, tricks, and ideas on how to negotiate for what you're worth. So if you believe in equal pay for equal worth, and I know you do because you're a longtime listener of Punk Rock HR, sit back and learn from the negotiating goddess, Ching Valdezco. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Hey, Ching, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lori. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you and speak with you again today. It's been too long. And before we get started, could you just tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? Hi, everyone. I'm Ching Valdezga, and I help people learn how to negotiate, influence, communicate, and lead more effectively. I work with a company called Execcom, where I lead our global facilitator team. And we have a strong yet easy philosophy, which is that you are more effective communicator and influencer when you can focus less on yourself and more on others. I'm so happy to have you here. One of the most important ways that I've been surviving COVID is by being of service to others, volunteering, going out into the community, trying to be helpful, wearing a mask, doing it right. But I love your take on being helpful by not focusing on yourself. Can you talk more about that? So many times we come into a negotiation thinking, I want something. There's something I want to get. That's why I'm in this negotiation. The thing is when we're focused solely on ourselves and what we want, we're less likely to get the successful outcome that is really great for both parties and makes the other person want to work with you again. So when I say focus less on yourself and more on others, it doesn't mean give up your own goals. It doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean only do what other people tell you to do. What it means is, can you understand what motivates that other person? What do they care about? And how can you find a way to give them what they need so that they in turn will help you get what you want. You know, I'm so excited to have you on the show today because we want to talk about where the rubber meets the road with negotiations. There's a lot of esoteric advice out there on the internet, a lot of stuff about mindset, but people are looking for real strategic tips, real tactical tips. So there are people out there who feel like they're very nice and naturally kind of friendly and bubbly and wonder, is that a disadvantage when negotiating? And they want to know, do they need to change their personalities? So let's start there. What's your take on that? 
There's a couple of schools of thought on it. My personal take is if these are your strengths, use them, find a way to get them to work for you. So if you're somebody who's naturally really nice, friendly, warm, relatable, if you put people at ease, that means people will want to work with you and they'll want to find ways to collaborate with you. It usually also means that you're pretty good at setting a positive climate. Sean Aker, he's a happiness researcher. He says the studies show that when we feel positive, our brains are more engaged, more creative, and more likely to find that great outcome as compared to when we're feeling anxious or stressed. So if you've got that strength, putting people at ease, getting them to want to work with you, that's a real benefit when you're negotiating. Well, how can it be a disadvantage? I think many people, including women, think that this softness, this bubbliness, this effervescence works against them. So does it? What you want is to be able to be nice yet firm. So even if you sound friendly, it doesn't mean that you're there to just give in and keep giving concessions without getting anything in return. So you certainly can keep that friendly demeanor, that polite tone, be really nice and warm. At the same time, know what your negotiating positions are and what's your walkaway position and don't let anybody badger you into giving up things that you know you really shouldn't. Let's talk about those specific things that we want in a negotiation, the positions that we take, the walkaway moment, right? All of that. How do we come to a negotiation fully prepared, knowing what we want and knowing what we're willing to give up? Sometimes that's the hardest part. If you think about in our careers, in our lives, you wrote such a great book about betting on you and finding that dream career. And it's probably no surprise to you many times getting clear on what is it really that we want and what's most important to us is the toughest part. If you've done your homework ahead of time and you understand yourself, you understand what's important to you, that helps you strategize about what you need to ask for, what you hope to get, what you're willing to settle for, and what is the point at which you say, you know what, I don't think this is working for me. Is it okay in the age of COVID to ask for money? Well, it all depends on what's important to you. Definitely compensation is something that is critical for a lot of us. In the end, we've got rent to pay, we have mortgages, kids to send to college, family members that we care about and support. And it's sometimes some of the most difficult things for people to ask for, especially in the current situation. But I see leaders all the time professionals who, even in the middle of a pandemic, are able to find new opportunities, switch companies for bigger and better jobs. And much of it is about the relationships that you build and your ability to stay connected with people and to know what you're worth and be able to show people how you can help them. You know, if I come prepared, I talk to a lot of people, I kind of understand the market, I know what I'm worth. Can you give me an example of some language that might be helpful in a compensation negotiation conversation? If you think about the conversations that we have, for me, that keyword is conversation. It's a two-way dialogue, kind of like what we're having here. It's not just the interviewer or the recruiter pressuring you to agree to something. It's also about the questions that you ask. So for example, if they start to walk you through what the compensation might look like, or if they ask you what salary you were making in your last job, which in California, by the way, they're not supposed to do that. But if they ask you one of the things that you might say is, 
I'm sure as we get through the process, we'll find a number that works well for both of us. I'd first like to understand if I'm a good fit for the role and if the role is a good fit for me. And then you might ask a question back about how they see you fitting in that role or what value they see you bringing. And that takes a conversation to a very different place than just talking about the raw numbers. So many people focus on the raw numbers, though, because ultimately they do have a mortgage to pay or student loans to catch up on, all that kind of stuff. And I think they lose sight that there are other things they can negotiate as well as part of this entire process. So when you talk to someone who's new to the negotiation process and a little bit nervous, what are some of the things you ask them to consider as part of the total compensation process? Oh, I'm very happy to share. There's so many examples. I might ask you to share a couple from, I'm sure you've had plenty of this experience too. What are some things that you've asked for besides money that you were happy to get? Oh my goodness. Additional PTO is the first. The ability to go and pursue certifications and have the company pay for it. Also, it's not just more PTO, but specific time off during holidays when I wanted to go be with my family or if I had a planned vacation and I knew it might be a challenging time. I asked for that as part of my upfront letter of compensation. Exactly. The best time to ask for many of these things is when they've said they want you and before you say yes. So asking for that big chunk of vacation, maybe taking time off to be with family or friends at a certain time. I did that once joining a new job. Before I accepted, I said, I have a one month family vacation already booked about six months into this job. And this is something that's really important to me. And I was able to get the time off, which was really great. So besides time off these days, a lot of companies are more flexible about working hours or where you work since so many of us are working from home. That makes it a lot easier easier. Sometimes you may have more freedom about where you're located, being able to work from a different state or even a different country part of the time. You talked about certifications. Sometimes if a company is not willing to raise the base salary for the position, there might be many reasons why they can't, but they might have a separate budget controlled by a different part of the company that will pay for professional development, for example, and the money that you would have spent on your own certification, they might well be willing to pay for that. And it's a totally separate number from what you were asking for as your salary or your bonus. I'm wondering about the act of negotiating itself. It's so stressful for many people, for all of us, really, let's be honest, who negotiates and just doesn't sweat it a little bit. And many people like that. They love the tension. They love the anxiety. They thrive on it. But most of us get a little nervous and we feel weird. So what if negotiation stresses us out? How do we prepare for it? How do we deal with it? And how do we make sure we don't screw it up? I am one of those people. <laughs> who gets stressed, or at least especially early in my career, I would get stressed by negotiations. And as a result, I would talk myself out of stuff. Like if I needed $200,000 for a project, I would look back at my numbers and think, well, I could really stretch a bit more and maybe make do with a little fewer resources, do it with 180K. And then I would walk into my manager's office. And before he even said anything, I would think actually maybe 150, that might be easier for him to say yes to. And I would keep talking myself down because in my mind, I was anxious about how the conversation was going to go. 
There's two things that help me get over that deer in the headlights really stressful moment. One of them is reframing my mindset and then the second was practice. So first, reframing my mindset. I learned this from a former FBI lead hostage negotiator. His name is Chris Voss. He writes a really great book in negotiations called Never Split the Difference. And he said, negotiations is an information gathering exercise. And it really is. It's the art of understanding what the other person cares about and uncovering as much information as you can. And I'm naturally a curious person. I love to ask questions. Think of it as it's not negotiating, it's not trying to get the most out of the other person, but can I just understand as much as I can and ask good questions? And that took a lot of the stress out of it for me. Because maybe I'm not one of those hard-hitting negotiators, but I know how to ask questions and that was a really great place to start. The other thing is practice. So in your book, you encourage people to do one new thing. And for many people, maybe this is their one new thing this year is learn to negotiate. Start small. Do not start your very first negotiation with a huge purchase like a house or negotiating your dream job. Start small. Maybe you could call your bank and negotiate your credit card fees. If you are one of those people who has a lot of patience, call your cable provider or your cell phone provider and see what you can negotiate. You might be surprised at what you can find. Farmer's markets, not so easy these days in a pandemic, but that's another place too where you can practice in a low stakes situation. Just try a bunch of things and see what works, see what doesn't work. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman, author of Betting on You, how to put yourself first and finally take control of your career. Dan Pink is a New York Times bestselling author. He says that betting on you is indispensable reading for anyone seeking to improve their professional selves and attain that elusive work-life balance. Jesse Itzler is an entrepreneur and also a best-selling author. He called betting on you the ultimate insider guide that will inspire anyone to wake up, take that first step towards change, and finally have a thriving career that connects purpose and passion. You're not surviving a pandemic to live life like it's 2019. Want to fix your career? Pick up a copy of Betting on You today anywhere books are sold or head on over to bettingonyoubook.com. Now remember, support your local bookstore or go to bettingonyoubook.com. it's such a good idea to practice in the small moments so you nail it in the big moments. And that's just good life advice in general. I just wonder, what if I'm negotiating with someone who's really aggressive? That is so stressful. Even if I've practiced, you know, I've called the cable company, that's very stressful, but it's different when it's a boss or a potential HR department that is just super aggressive and making me feel afraid. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah. That is pretty tough. It can happen with colleagues. It can happen with business partners, maybe somebody that you're meeting with who's pretty tough and comes across as that aggressive, no holds barred kind of negotiator. What do you do when you're in that sort of situation? Well, in the same way that we talked about, there's more than just salary when it comes to negotiating jobs. That's true for many, many kinds of negotiations. And we have a term, we call it currencies. Currencies are the things that you can exchange in a negotiation. And something to keep in mind in these heated, aggressive negotiator situations is the feeling of 
having won, the feeling of coming out on top, that is also a currency. So if the other person is really aggressive and you think what motivates them is they want to come out on top, they want to know that they so-called beat you, that's something you can use to benefit you. And if you can find a way to help them feel like they won, <laughs> help them feel like they came out on top, they had the last word, whatever it is that they need, you might be surprised at how much they're willing to give you. Boy, human psychology is so crazy, Ching. Why do you do what you do? Because you're in the thick of it, of human behavior, of the way people think and act. What drew you to this line of work? It is just so fascinating. I love it. It's understanding human nature, what makes people tick. My dad was somebody who was always looking to better understand what motivated people, what they cared about. So that's something that I maybe absorbed a little bit by osmosis growing up. And I developed an interest in reading about psychology, about influence, about how people learn, how we build habits. And this is something that I enjoy teaching other people about and seeing people be able to build these skills. They are skills that anybody can learn just like any other skill. And you don't just teach negotiation. I mean, you really teach more effective human connection and conversation. Yes, that's exactly right. So we help people learn how to write more clearly, present with more confidence. We help people learn how to adjust their style to somebody else that they might be communicating with, giving effective feedback. It's all the different ways that people interact with each other in business and in life. Well, it's certainly more interesting than most HR lady jobs that I've had. So I'm a little envious of your career here. I wonder if we can talk about the world of work again. How do I start a conversation with my manager about a promotion? You know, that's not easy at any point. But again, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Are promotions even possible? That is a challenging question for many people. And as somebody who has been a manager for many years and also been in that position where I was thinking about how to go and ask for a promotion, many times we don't know where to start. Like for example, if somebody asked you, and you probably know the answer because you've been doing this for so long, when is a good time to start the conversation about a promotion? What do you think most people might say? Well, I think they would say I need to wait six months or a year until the next review I have and prove my worth and, you know, see what the market's like. So, yeah, it's some future forward time of indeterminate length. Exactly. And many times that's because that's what we were taught. That's what we grew up with, right? We were told work hard, focus on getting the results. And once you've proven yourself, then you can ask. First of all, many people don't even ask. They do the work and hope that somebody will recognize them and give them the promotion that they deserve. And even when they work up the courage to ask, it's going to be during that review period. And many times we imagine ourselves going into that conversation saying, I did such a great job this year. How can I get promoted? The reality is you're most effective when you ask that question at the beginning, even though it's kind of scary because you haven't done anything yet. The time to start that conversation is when you're setting goals for the coming year. And that's when you start with perhaps asking your manager or your boss, your business sponsor, what are your top priorities for the year? How do you see me or my team supporting those goals? What are you looking for from me this year? And then asking those questions like, 
if I am interested in getting promoted, what would I need to demonstrate this year to show that I'm ready? Or what would you need to see from me to feel comfortable that I'm operating at that next level? And if you have that conversation early, first of all, you don't spend 12 months working on the wrong thing. And then second, if you've aligned the expectation, now you have a roadmap that you can use to check in throughout the year. How am I doing versus what we talked about? Am I on track? And more crucially, you have time to change things if you aren't on the right trajectory. Because when you get to the end of the year, if your manager disagrees and you never had that conversation up front, there's really nothing more that you can do at that stage. But if you were having the regular conversations all throughout, the answer shouldn't be a surprise at the end of the year. If you've been doing what your manager said, sure, there are always circumstances when it's not under their control. HR may suddenly put a freeze on their promotions, but at least you've been able to control the piece that you and your manager can control by having that conversation up front. Well, my mind goes a million different ways because there are people who just wait until the review cycle and are surprised when they don't get promoted, or they just pop in your office on a random Tuesday because they read an article on Huffington Post about negotiation and they go for it, like out of the blue. And it's like, wait a second, where is this coming from? And while I applaud that courageousness, I'm always baffled by that. Are you baffled by some of the advice on negotiation that you read on the internet? I think some of it is sometimes coming from people who have good intentions, but maybe haven't tried <laughs> what it is that they're putting out there. So it is really tough. We teach negotiations and interpersonal interactions for hundreds and sometimes over thousands of participants every year. And we study how people do it. We have them role play a conversation. We'll observe them. In many cases, we'll record them. We'll play it back. We'll give them feedback. So we see so many practical examples of not just what works and what doesn't work, but we can tell people why it worked or why a behavior is more or less effective. I wonder if the rules have changed now that we're all operating virtually. What are your thoughts on that? I do think there's certainly a lot of things that are different. For example, if there's a misunderstanding or if you need something from someone, you can't just walk down the hall and tap them on the shoulder and have a conversation. So in many ways, we're now having to be more thoughtful about how do we approach those interactions. And the more you can have that dialogue and the connection, the better it is both for you and your counterpart to get to a better outcome. So we usually suggest if you can't meet in person, a video call is maybe the next best thing. You can see the person's body language. You can see if they seem a bit skeptical or hesitant, or if they're enthusiastic, you can adjust appropriately. And as human beings, we're hardwired to have more trust in people that we can see, that we recognize, that we know. So even just the fact that they can see you, they can make eye contact, that helps a lot. If you can't get a video call going for some reason, phone call or audio is the next best thing. You can at least hear their tone of voice. You can have an interactive dialogue. I try to stay away from negotiating by email. There's so many risks of things going wrong, tone getting misinterpreted or some kind of miscommunication. And it tends to have a bit more of a take it or leave it feel than a conversation would have. Oh yeah, all my best ultimatums come via email. <laughs> but I never give an ultimatum over Zoom. Never. <laughs> there you go. When you remind yourself that there's a real person on the other end of that conversation, suddenly the tone is so different. Absolutely. Well, I have one final question for you, and that is this. There are people out there who say that everything is negotiable, like everything, like the price of a pair of pants at Walmart. That's negotiable. Where are you on that spectrum? 
I would say if you were negotiating things in a supermarket, for example, you might not find many of your friends shopping with you for very long. So there's definitely a time and a place for everything, I think. And knowing, just like in everything, focusing on others, knowing the other person, knowing the situation that you're in, and choosing what's appropriate for that place, that time, that person, that's a big part of what goes into it too. Laurie, I have a question for you out of everything that we've talked about today? What's one thing that's been helpful for you or most interesting for you? Well, I love this focus on conversation because I think you're right. So often in a negotiation, we enter with a checklist and that checklist serves us and it doesn't really serve anybody else. And I think I'm someone who operates from a checklist in life just because I have things to remember, things I want to accomplish. And it reminded me that sometimes my checklist is not the most important part of the discussion. It's really about listening to other people's needs. So thank you for that. That's a great question. Oh, I'm glad that was helpful. You are right. It's not just about the checklist, what we need right now, what we want out of this particular interaction. Many times it's about building that longer term relationship. Because it's so rare that we work with somebody one time and never see them again. And even if you do, they know people who know you, word gets around. So the more you can do to build that positive long-term relationship, I think it's helpful for everybody. Well, Chang, I can't wait to see you again in real life. It's been too long. It's just heartbreaking that all of our travel has stopped, but it's for a good reason. But man, when that conference circuit starts back up, I cannot wait to go and have a coffee with you and say hello and just catch up on life. So thanks again for being a guest today. You're very welcome. I was very glad to be here. And yes, I definitely look forward to seeing you at that next panel, that next talk, that next conference when we are all back to in-person events. Thank you so much, Laurie. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show today. For more information, including show notes and links, you can head on over to punkrockhr.com. And if you like what you heard today, head on over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.